there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, advanced medicine officially underway now with Dr. Rasha Batar. I'm just just really excited to get to get to see him at the uh, the Ultimate Life Symposium with uh, Ty Bollinger. The truth about cancer. It's coming up soon, Dr. Batar. You ready? I'm ready. In fact, I've I've got to get the um, a presentation on that PowerPoint template. I never did that. Did you get yours done in a template that they wanted you to do it on? I just, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. Let me just say that. <laughs> Same thing. We're, we're all getting our preparation. You know, they have it a certain format that they want, and I don't know if the one I use is going to fit, so I've got to cross-reference well, it and see. That's exactly my thing, too, because I think the format, the 16 by 9 format, will work, but it's the colors. You know, when you have certain colors that come on certain backgrounds, they won't show up, so... Right. I've only got like 143 slides that I got to go through and figure out. What oh, to that's do with. all. Yeah, no, you got me beat. I got like about 50 or 60, so I've got about half that amount. But uh, I've been working. In fact, you'll like this. I've been working for a while on a book dedicated to the science of silver because I've been, you know, I've been studying into that over 10 years now, and I just I like to get to the heart of these things, what it's good for, what it is, and try to relate some of this. So I'm I'm now in the fine tooth comb stages of reviewing it. And so I've been, you know, in between all the things that we do to prep for the radio show. Lately, I've been buried like my brain is on egghead status. Mm. Egghead status, I like that. <laughs> you, but, you, know, you know what I'm talking about when you get it. Me. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it, it, the it, between, what is the that difference? You and me in our presentations is uh, that you actually get through all your slides and I only get through about half of mine. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. I there, But there are, I'll be honest with you, times that... Uh, time will get away from me a little bit, and I'm I'm very much a stickler about if they say they need you to be done by a certain time, I'll find a way to be done by that time. But uh, I'm going to try and say, all right, everybody, rapid eye movement, be the six million dollar man, and watch these slides as they fly by because we got to get through right. this. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's only a couple of days away, so yeah, I got to get that done myself. I've been kind of swamped myself, so. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know it, it is. Um, like we did their show last week, uh, Robert. It seems like we did it yesterday. I know things are moving fast, and and by the way, the one we did a couple of weeks back, where we went through, we revisited the DMSA issue, right? The EDTA, the DMPS, mm-hmm. that really has struck a chord again because so many people are becoming once again aware of the need for chelation in these extreme circumstances of heavy metal toxicity, mercury poisoning, uh, in in kids and adults now. They have still very few of them have heard the level of discussion and the things you have studied. And again, thanks. I'll acknowledge uh, Dr. Boyd Haley, Professor Haley as well in this. And I think it was so timely that we were asked that question again. It wasn't like it was bad to repeat. I think it was very important that we went through that again. Yeah, I think it's probably the three times now in the last, what is it? We've been doing the six years now? Yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, so I think this is about the third time we've done that. And it's every time we've never planned on it, it just ended up happening. And each time the response has been, very similar in that um, people found the information to be um, refreshing for them and uh, elicited a lot of responses. Because even even to the clinic, we've had a lot of people that have contacted us recently. I'm thinking, why is this? And, and I think it's because of the show. 
Yeah, and of course, it's not like you're an unknown factor out there in the world, and especially in the realm of uh, autism and vaccine injury. But there are a lot more people, thanks to the movie Vaxxed from Cover Up to Catastrophe, that are coming into this so-called extended family of those who have been injured by vaccines or intoxicated with heavy metals and now are acknowledging it and then saying, what do I do now? And trying to navigate the things and not have to do the, you know, the things that we know don't work to try and say, okay, this has been going on for enough years. Let's not make those same mistakes. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And that awareness is, is half the battle. Just people becoming aware that mm-hmm. uh, is, you're already halfway home. Yeah. Now, in, in the United States, uh, October is what we call pink washing month where the Komen race for what I call the non-cure raises awareness about breast cancer while paying its executives six figures or more and throwing a few pennies to research, of course, research that doesn't really acknowledge the cause of cancer, much less provide real cures. And we had a news report a while back, and I think it'd be timely. I don't know if you heard this, Dr. Batar. I want you to pay attention to it, and I think you'll get it immediately, uh, about all of these races and these fundraisers for breast cancer We're going to go to uh, uh, Doyle Redland and the Onion News Network. It's the Onion Radio News. 6,000 runners failed to discover a cure for breast cancer. This is Doyle Redland reporting. The weather was perfect and hopes were high this morning in Atlanta, Georgia. But sadly, no viable cure for breast cancer was found along the five-kilometer course. Still, race organizer Jill Broadbent would not admit defeat. If even one patient went into remission as a result of thousands of people running around Atlanta, then it was all worth it. Recently in Dallas, an estimated 3,000 cyclists were... Well, I don't know what happened to the 3,000 cyclists, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that was the concept there. And, of course, that was a spoof news article uh, when people step back and say, you know what, why are we running for awareness? Isn't there enough awareness about breast cancer? What is it that we really need to be doing? And, of course, the things that you talk about in the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, the things you'll be pre- <clears throat> presenting on in, in The Truth About Cancer and have already talked about in the series... You know, it doesn't require a foot race, although we love people to run and exercise. But the idea is, is there a purpose in just raising money for funding that doesn't go to actually finding a cure? Well, Robert, I think it comes back to the same thing when um, when you start looking at how in history um, these myths that have been perpetrated and how people get um, a group behind something and to get momentum. Um, have you read the book by... Uh, Andy Andrews called how um, how how do you kill 11 million, million people have you read that book by Andy Andrews I've I've heard about it but I have not read it Yeah it's a very very short book it's uh it's like 80 pages or something and they're very very small um, pages so you can actually read it within like an hour and a half or something and um, it's really an interesting uh exercise to read this book to see how um, propaganda works. And it's not mm-hmm. just medical propaganda, and it's actually uh, how the Nazis did it and how, how Hitler did it and how in history when you go back and you start seeing how many times when there was a, there was a movement that was necessary to be started, how to get people behind something, it doesn't matter whether something real or not. It's just the fact that you get people into a certain mindset and you get them feeling like they're making a difference. And so I believe this is very similar to um, that same type of flow. When I was a cadet in the, milita- in, in, uh, in the university, Washington University, 
I remember there was a lecture that one of our cadres was giving us, and this is like 1980. See, I graduated from college in 87, so this was like in that 85 or 86. And they were talking about MOP4, and MOP is um, it's basically the gas mask and the donating the gas mask and the protective charcoal line suits and all these different things that you do to protect yourself from biological and chemical warfare. And at that time, they were talking about what the Soviet Union was using, at that time, the Soviet Union was using for chemical agents and, and biological agents would eat through MOP4 in nine seconds. If you had all your full MOP4 gear on, which means the boots, the, the pants, the uh, upper garments, the jacket, the, the mask, and everything else. But the standard for, tre- for actually putting on just a mask and clearing your mask was like 11 seconds. To do all MOP4, all the external cover-up, everything, all the whole cover-alls and everything, you had like a, a minute, 10 seconds to put it all on. Mm. So the question was, why is the standard to put this uniform on and, and the, the protective gear on, the mask on, for 1 minute and 10 seconds in a total of 70 seconds, where... If you even had the full thing on, their biological and chemical agents they're using are going to eat through that in nine seconds. The <laughs> fastest you can even put your mask on. And so when the question was posed back to our candidate, why are we doing that? He said, because soldiers will not follow you in the battle if they don't think that they're going to be able to do something about it. So to make people feel that there's something they can do about it, you get this propaganda machine going, and you have these standards that are put in place, and then you practice and you rehearse and you make sure you can get these drills down, and there's a standard and awards are given, blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing with this race. You give people something to focus in on. It's a distraction from one standpoint because it doesn't let them really see what the real issues are. And from the other standpoint, it gets them running, and they're all active, and this camaraderie, and this, you know, they're all having a good time, and, yeah, they're doing it for a good cause, and it's all poppycock and illusion. Mm. Yeah, well, and I was as I was investigating uh, the the flu shot propaganda again in depth because there was a you know chapter on the book that I'm working on silver and viruses and flu and all of that, and and it was like becoming so apparent just like you described that the campaign each year is nothing but a pure, unadulterated, not even hidden propaganda campaign, not based on scientific evidence in terms of the need for a flu shot, but based on the need to sell a flu shot. It was just like. It's not even subtle. Yeah, it, it, in fact, that's exactly what Andrew, Andrew says in his book, that you make something so absurd that people don't even believe that it's possible, and it, it doesn't need to be subtle anymore. It's right there out in the open. You know, when you talk to people about mercury, for example, and you say, well, what do you think about mercury? Everybody, general public, no matter where they are, everybody says mercury's bad. They all know it. And then you say, well, what do you think about the current use of mercury? Well, yeah, they don't use it anymore. Well, what about the fillings? Well, they don't use that anymore. People think that nobody uses mercury fillings anymore, and yet it's always been used. Yeah, and, and of course... Consensus, when, when you just go into a mall or anything else, you ask anybody, nobody thinks people are using mercury and dental fillings anymore, or in vaccines. They think that was in the past, 10, 15 years ago. They don't realize yeah. it's still there. And the most promoted uh, vaccine every year, of course, is the flu shot, and the multi-dose vial uh uh, shots, if you will, are preserved with the Marisol, 25 micrograms yep. of mercury. Unless you're the last one to get the shot from the vial, you might have 50 or 100 micrograms left over if they didn't shake it well. So it's a disaster that's still happening. Yeah, and, you know, and it's actually interesting because one of the stories that, that Super Don sent on the email um, is uh, this: you may want to hold off on getting your flu shot, doctor. Saying, I haven't read the, the study was, is, is that, or the article. Is that what they were talking about? 
Well, we're going to get to that in a moment because we're up on a break. So we'll we'll get into the flu shot since I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of keyed into it right now with where I am in the book. And uh, Dr. Batar is here doing advanced medicine with us, and hopefully you're geared up to see him in Dallas, as we all are at the Ultimate Live Symposium. We're going to have information for those of you who couldn't get tickets to how you can watch it streaming live on the web. Yeah, so if you couldn't make it, you're not out in the cold. Dr. Batar is coming up more with the advanced medicine that we love each and every week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show after this. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Man, and and high on the list of medical propaganda is flu shot propaganda year-round, basically. I, I don't know. I mean... I'd have to ask our friends down under if they have anything like that going on. But it's crazy in America every year, the flu shot propaganda. You know, not only are, are the claims by the CDC that 36,000 people die year, every year due to flu, it's been already blown out of the water by Peter Doshi in his peer-reviewed publications. Uh, but the very fact of, of, of a claim of efficacy via flu shot is in question. And Dr. Batar, this story actually brings that up. They're saying, don't rush into a flu shot because it it. If it works, it works so sh- such a short time period, you're talking about months of waning immunity. If you get it too soon, they're worried that you might get the flu later in the flu season. That's how fast they're saying it, it, it fades away. Well, this is why I think that fundamental immunology should be taught to everybody before they take a flu shot. Now, somebody said, well, why would you want to take fundamental immunology? It only takes one hour. It should be, you know, to do the safety briefings for everything. You get, You have to have a driver's license to drive a car, right? And, and so that's a lot less dangerous than taking the flu shot. So don't you think we should, like, have a one-hour video that people can watch about, the flu, about the, the, how the immune system works and then come to a conclusion themselves? Because the fundamental aspect of the immune response is that you create an antibody-antigen reaction so that the next time the body is exposed to that antigen, the virus, the happen, whatever it is, it has a memory. But if you give the flu shot now for thinking it's going to, stop you from getting the flu right now, first of all, the strains of it even, you know, it's, it's all based upon computerized algorithms of what they predict is going to be the issue next year. Or a Democratic to, vote. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. There was one of the, uh, a nurse that I was talking to um, at, a, at one of the hospitals just a couple of days ago, and it was remarkable because I was concerned about um, I was uh, actually talking to her about her uh, history. She's, she's actually a local nurse that's got cancer uh, who contacted our office, and so I was doing an office consult with her. And when, when we talked about her flu shot history or the history of her um, exposure to various types of toxins, there's a part in there about inoculations, childhood vaccines and adult vaccines. I want to know what their, you know, how, how many adult recommended vaccines have they had. And she said, I haven't had any. And I said, wait a second. He said, you're an RN, right? And she said, yes, at, at, at the specific hospital, which is a local hospital to us mm-hmm. um, in North Carolina. And, and I, in fact, I've been there. My kids were born there. So I, know, I know a lot of the staff members there. I taught advanced cardiac life support there. I taught pediatric advanced life support there. So I know the hospital well. But she said, well, they're owned by such and such um, health group. And they recognize, get this, Robert, I, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. She said, they recognize that 
there's too many negatives to do with the flu shot. There's too many adverse reactions people have had. And so they allow the nursing and the medical staff, the administrative staff, to make a decision themselves. They don't, they don't mandate it. Wow. Um, That's big. They recommend awareness. And I'm thinking, what, actually a hospital is doing that? Mm-hmm. That's amazingly evolved because for everything that we've heard, you know, people calling in, they're being told by the it's, hospital they have to take the shot. They don't get fired and get written up, whatever. Right. No, that's a good sign. I think inevitably, as we've talked about with the whole vaccine autism issue, somebody's going to know somebody or it's going to be you and your family that's impacted and you can't keep this hidden. Like, you know, that's why the Nico LaHood story was so significant, because every once in a while it's going to be someone who's got a pretty good uh, sphere of influence that's going to come out and say, you know what? This happened to me. This happened to my kid. And with the flu shot, you can't keep hiding all the people that say, you know what? I did. I, I, every time I got the flu shot, I, I got sick. I got. They told me it wasn't the flu, but it certainly felt like it or worse. And, you know, with the Cochrane collaboration and the work and the revelations that it's not really preventing anything from happening, you, you got to scratch your head and say, you know, when does it when do the, the rest of the medical profession catch up to this? It sounds like some of them are. Well, that's exactly right, and that's a, on a on a corporate level they're starting to catch up on it, which is fantastic because that's usually the last phase when the corporate levels are understanding this. But you know, you said that usually doesn't help. It's actually the more the issue is that it never helps, Robert. Mm-hmm. It's always a detrimental thing. Yeah, well, it's an important distinction to make, and and you know, when we talk about these things, sometimes I try to be a little nicer and easier for folks that are new listeners because they're like, "Wait a second, you mean it never works? Come on, you're you're exaggerating." No, it doesn't. You can't damage your immune system and expect your immune system to be stronger because of it. You can't intoxicate your whole body with mercury and say, "Well, that's good. Now you're you're better protected from the flu." That's absurd. <sighs> anyway, that's where we are. We're on another break, folks. So take. Take your potty break now. We'll be back in a few minutes with Dr. Rasha Bittar. I hear there might be hand, foot, and mouth disease at FSU. What are they doing over there? We'll talk about that. Maybe a little more Zika controversy as well with Dr. Bittar. Go to the links. They're in robertscottbell.com right now. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Links are up in the show notes, including uh, the Truth About Cancer Ultimate Live Symposium with Dr. Batar and friends. And uh, I guess, Dr. Batar, you get ready for your uh, insults. You haven't seen Ty Bollinger in a while, have you? So you got to get ready for that. You know, I think Ty's getting soft. You think so? Yeah, he seems like he's getting soft because every time I talk to him, he's he's almost affectionate. I'm like, what the hell? I think it, I think the bigger he's getting and the more well known he's getting, he's getting yes. soft. I don't like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to toughen him up again. He's just like he's just playing all this lovey dovey stuff with you. That's just not right. That's just not right, man. You're right. It's just not right. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Like I said, because every <laughs> once in a while, I talk I talk to you when I'm with him. I like channel a little Doctor Batar, just and, and he'll get that look at me like. Dr. Batar's not here. Why'd you say that? <laughs> I'm like, because I get to hang out with Dr. Batar once a week. You rarely talk to the guy anymore. So anyway, obviously getting close to the ultimate life. I just, life talk, I just, uh, I just had an exchange of emails about a couple of things yesterday. We still, we still communicate via email every, you know, probably once, once or twice a, a week or 
something like that. But yeah, the but the unsolved uh, don't don't fly as well in email. Real time stuff is where it happens. That's the real magic. You know, the, the thing is, I, I I don't think we insult each other at all unless we're on the air or in public. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's the that's where it's all so much fun. So hopefully we'll have a little bit of uh, visual on that uh, when we're together. Oh, also, the week before that, again, I've told you I wish you could be here earlier. I know you're going to be so busy, but we talk about the flu shot, the failure of vaccinations, but the evidence is growing for homeoprophylaxis, the utilization of nozodes to sensitize safely the immune system without harming it, can't cause a disease or problem, and the evidence is being presented at the uh, October 7th, 8th, and 9th conference in St. Pete, Florida. Ty will be there. We'll be interviewing some folks about it because that's the, you know, another plus factor when we talk about the truth about vaccines. We want to give people options to recognize there are safe ways to sensitize and train the immune system. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, I think that's a really, really important part of uh, the public's education uh, regarding this whole issue with the vaccine and better solutions to accomplish the same results that's hoped for with the vaccine, but that, that are much safer and have less fallout and that have actually more efficacy. Yeah. And so it's good that he's going to have that in the vaccine. I think he's doing the same truth about vaccines that's coming out, I guess, next year sometime. Yeah, next year, exactly. The truth about detox will come up and then that vaccines is after that. And uh, let's see, right the week after, I've got to go up to uh, Beaver Falls. Yeah, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A woman, mm-hmm. women's wellness expo. Uh, I will be keynoting up there. Super Don, why are we getting snickering out there when we say the women's health expo is going to be held at Beaver Falls? I don't get it. <clears throat> yeah, I don't either. I have no idea. I'm, I'm confused. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm just saying that's been that's been the feedback. They're laughing every time I say it. I'm not sure why. Uh, Doctor Batar uh, has no I'm idea. Not, I'm, I'm I'm thinking. Are they trying to say something about? Is it something about you and talking at a women's conference? Is that what it is? Is that what the problem? That's probably it. Yeah. Why would that's, Why would uh, I be? That's yeah, it. that's it. That must. The, be it. Yes. The raw masculinity of Robert Scott Bell. I don't know how he's going to manage. So uh, we'll get but, there. Yeah, it might. It might be. It, somebody must have gotten a picture or something of those pink tennis shoes. Robert, that you were wear the, <laughs> that's the right. Coleman, you know, run that you were going to do for the breast to wear the pink ribbons in my hair. That's right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, by the way, I've got rumor has it that, you know, when I, um, gonna, how would you say, MC a big Halloween party for, uh, Jonathan Emord up there, and he's got me set up to be a conehead, cause it's an alien space theme. So I'm gonna be a conehead, we'll get pictures. Super Don is anxiously awaiting those pictures. Uh, how, Super Don, how are you gonna tell the difference between the pictures at the party <laughs> and the regular pictures? Well, I, I, I guess he's gonna have to take off his hat when he's at the, the oh, Halloween okay. party, so we get to see. All right. I didn't say egghead. It said conehead. There's a difference. You know? oh, oh, sorry. Right. I got There's confused. Sorry. Difference. All right. Uh, let's see. What else we got? Uh, college stuff. The Zika. Oh, here, the Zika thing. This is interesting. Now, we, we all know it's a scam. It's, it's you know, promoting the use of, of, of the things that cause Zika, like pesticides, herbicides, larvicides, also the unneeded vaccination that they want to bring out and mandate. Um, now this thing called NALED, N-A-L-E-D, which has been basically banned in, in the European Union because they classify it as a harmful to aquatic life, dangerous, if swallowed, harmful if it comes into contact with skin. It's a known neurotoxin. And yet here, the stupid Americans, and again, I count myself as an American, but man, hopefully not as stupid as I once was, are arguing that, you know, just because the European Union says it's toxic doesn't mean you have to worry about it. And because there's protests in Miami where they're spraying this stuff, and, of course, they're going to precipitate the very thing like birth defects, potentially, in children that they're trying to blame on the virus. 
You know, it's it's amazing that it's the, it's the same concept, Robert. We talk about how do you kill eleven million people, right? Yes. Uh, or how do you how do you um, cook a frog? How do you boil a frog? You, you do these things in, in a manner that this that defies all logic and natural um, thought process, and then you think what they would somebody wouldn't make it that evident. It's almost like I remember I remember being in a fraternity. And, you know, when, um, when I was growing up and I was in college, and they would, you had to do this stuff during rush. You know, when you were pledged, you had to go out and do some stuff. And one of the things that was, um, you do something so absurd that nobody expected. So there was a challenge that you had to um, go out there, and okay, I don't know whether I should have even talked about this on, on the air. But, um, okay, you, <laughs> Everybody you to to, been to college. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, okay, so... The aftermath, I'll just tell you, we were challenged to do certain things, but we had to then go back and make it right. But you want, they wanted to see whether you were willing to step outside of your comfort zone. And one of those things was you had to, the, the object was who was going to be able to steal the biggest thing from a store. And then, of course, you take it back. Well, I won the contest, and I stole a canoe, and and I had the... And I had the store manager help me open up the doors to take the canoe out. Now, of course, I brought it back later on that afternoon. But the point was that it was so absurd, nobody would ever think of something. How can, how can you sneak out a canoe? I mean, the canoe would take six people and four people to carry the damn thing, plus two people to hold the doors open. And we had that store manager help us. He just picked it up and walked out with it. Nobody thought that anybody was stealing it because it's so absurd. Nobody would ever do that. Now, it, it, I'm sorry for bringing, illustrating that point. I'm sorry. This is bad. No, I'm not I laughing. Exactly what saying. It's yes. so absurd. Nobody yeah. would ever think of something like that, and that's how they get. That's how they do this stuff. Yeah, it, it's they, the lie. The same. Yeah, it, they, must have, the, they must have been part of my same fraternity. <laughs> they just learned the same principle. Yeah, if the lie is big enough, of course it's like so believable because no one would make that up. It's too big. So, here, manager of the store, can you help me steal this canoe? These are not the droids you're looking for. Of course, nobody's going to do that. It's a big canoe. I'll help you out. Uh, it's a, it's an important lesson. It is because the bigger the lie, the more believable it is. Weirdly enough, and you, you know, know since what, you were talking, Robert, hmm? on a side note, though, I just yeah. wanted, didn't mean to cut you off. But a side note, I actually got uh, acknowledged for helping to recover a stolen canoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your reputation has just been ruined. Everybody thought, okay, Doctor Batar, we'll we'll rehabilitate you after the show. Uh, now you're talking about fraternities. And uh, colleges, there's a the big college story this week. It's not college football necessarily, but it's college hand, foot, and mouth disease. This viral contagion, they say it's, a, I think it was an enterovirus. They say it's pretty common in kids under five years of age. Why is it suddenly happening in these millennial college-age kids? Could it have anything to do with the poor hygiene, uh, the bad eating habits, the lack of sleep, the fact that they're weaker generationally than anybody before them because they've been so heavily vaccinated. Could any of this have any impact on their immune system to make them vulnerable and susceptible to a disease that usually doesn't happen after the age of five? Well, Robert, <clears throat> that's part of it. Then on top of that, you've got greater economic um, stress on students today because they have less potential for finding a job afterwards with the you know, mm-hmm. high unemployment. Um, there, there are things that people are going through now in, in this generation um, with, with being exposed to, as you said, more toxins. But then 
in college, we know notoriously we don't get the proper nutrition. We don't get enough sleep. There's a lot of people that are experimenting with, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever. So their bodies are already stressed. On top of that, they're stressed from additional vaccines since the advent of the National Vaccine Initiative in 1991. So now you're looking at the people that this is, you know, you're virtually in the first generation of these uh, of the people that have been vaccinated 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 18, 17 years ago, you, you're seeing uh, higher, when initiated the National Vaccine Initiative, not everybody was getting the vaccines, but by about mid-90s, late-90s, everybody was getting the vaccine. So this is really the first group of people coming through the college years, yes. you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, with the additional uh, high stress, um, not knowing what the, the future holds because of the economic Mm-hmm. Um, downturn, uh, emotional stress, right? That's one of the toxicities you list in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. And exactly. let me add one other factor here. The absolute terror of germs, right? We talked about living in the germ theory, the fear of germs. And the way they play it out on the college campuses, and this is true at FSU where the, the story is, they're saying that the officials are urging all of them to sanitize the residents thoroughly and install bottles of hand sanitizer everywhere. Now, remember, hand sanitizer, benzyl alcohol, triclosan, uh, benzyl colonium chloride, however you say that, all of these things leave the hand more vulnerable, the epithelial layer more vulnerable, not less so, by killing things, but it also dries out, penetrates, and gives you what we call leaky hands. So hand, foot, and mouth disease, the transmission is actually, I believe, going up because of the over-sanitization. Well, that's that's a very very uh, high possibility too, because you know how does a, how do how do women get? Why is there an increase in um, vaginal candidiasis? You know, yeast infections that women get when they're put on a course of antibiotics. Well, that's because the antibiotics kill off all the bacteria and allow the suppression of the endogenous in, in flora that's healthy for the body, and it allows more of the opportunistics to flare up. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is that the, the, that germ aspect, you know, they're they're so um, adamant about the the germ aspect and, and doing all the hand sanitizers and stuff, so you kill off all the natural bacteria on your hands that's not going to cause any kind of disease and allows more susceptibility to all these opportunistic pathogenic type yep. of um, opportunistic uh, exactly. agents, exactly the bacteria viruses. And so by the way, concept, you totally agree. Dr. Bittar, we you know we we both utilize silver as as an adjunct uh, you know for antimicrobial when necessary, but of course it doesn't harm the the healthy cells. And I just found a peer-reviewed published report that silver, even at two thousand times that daily reference dose, does not imbalance, does not leave the gut microbiome biodiversity disrupted. This is a phenomenal leap forward in understanding how silver can be safely used as an antimicrobial in place of these other antimicrobial drugs. We'll talk about that and a few other things as we wrap up Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show after this. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, Dr. Batar, I mentioned uh, pink washing month, breast cancer awareness. Is it, you know, the Coleman race for the non cure? Is it pink buckets of fried chicken? What do we got? And there's a news story here that I think only. Uh, 
What's her name? What was the famous celebrity that lopped off her boobies because she was afraid because of the brick of gene mutation thing? Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. Jolie, that's right. The, the movie star Angelina Jolie. I got, I got nothing against her personally. I just, you know, it, it, using her celebrity status to promote uh, uh, prophylactic removal of tissue like breasts is just, to me, irresponsible. But that, when, is that, when has a Hollywood celebrity ever been irresponsible? Uh, so, never that I've known. No. So to be responsible and to be fair, if you're, you follow in the footsteps of Angelina Jolie and you want to have reconstructive surgery, let's let you consider all of your options because apparently, according to Doyle Redland, there is a new option. The FDA approves napalm breast implants. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. The Food and Drug Administration cleared the way for the use of highly flammable napalm in cosmetic breast implants today. Though some feminist groups say the implantation of sacks of jellied gasoline could have lethal consequences, the FDA remains convinced they're safe. Spokesman Kevin Manning. The likelihood of a woman turning into a human fireball is minimal at best. Initial testing of the implants on breastfeeding mothers resulted in an acceptable number of exploding babies. <laughs> Doyle Redland for The Onion, Radio News. That's awful. Why would the FDA do that? <laughs> Super, Don, you're so bad. But I, I guess that's appropriate for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Might as well throw out the absurdities. Listen, the FDA approves stuff that we laugh about, morbid morbid humor, of course, on a regular basis. So why not napalm breast implants, right? Yeah, I guess these he... work. These work, that's why. It's not important. These... We shouldn't be laughing because these, these actually do work. Well, they do. I don't know what they work yeah. in doing, but boy, oh boy, uh, that's, a, that's a new story waiting to happen. Uh, you know, the idea here, of course, in, in true prevention of breast cancer, in all seriousness, of course, uh, and I and I don't mean to keep saying this, but for our new listeners, and there are, we've got new affiliates all of the time. Uh, Dr. Batar has written a book, an international best-selling book, and it's called The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And in it are basically the, you know, I'd say the, the, the secrets. They're not secret, but the things that you can do to prevent this from happening. And it, it doesn't matter what gene mutation you think you have or somebody tells you you have. And that's the empowering stuff that Angelina Jolie evidently didn't learn. Well, and this is the thing with the new therapies that are coming out. You know, it's the same. Everything is based on the same original class of drugs. And every time they come up with a new regimen, a new drug, it's always like, well, this one is going to work, or this one's going to work, or this new protocol will work. You go to five oncologists, they give you 20 different opinions on which combinations to create, and it's the same thing. Or it's a new gene therapy, which is just a failed whole, the, that whole component is just a failed, miserable, um, thought process that they've used for cancer, and they know it doesn't hold water anymore with the genetic component, and so they have to go to that extreme propaganda that we've been talking about with the, with the pink ribbon runs and such. So it's, it's always the same thing, and, you know, that's why I said that well, this one does work, because then I realized maybe somebody doesn't understand that I was just being facetious, but that's the whole process, that this time it's going to work, that this time it's not the same case as previous. Well, in this time, Lucy is going to hold the football, and Charlie Brown will be allowed to kick it. I mean, this is the kind of thing yeah. we see in the in the body politic, and of course, with the absurdity of a napalm breast implant. I suppose if there was enough money coming into the you know congressional uh, representatives, they would probably vote on it and say yes. Or if they were promised a re you know like the revolving door between FDA and Big Pharma, you know, listen, if you approve this and say it's okay, you know, you'll have a good job at Dow Chemical, for instance. And this is the way it's been operating because of a strong centralized bureaucracy having power over 300 million people. 
It's going to be bought off by those who can afford it. And that's that's our founding fathers knew that. And they said, don't do it. Have a weak central government. Do limited few things and there'd be no interest in buying the government because they wouldn't have the power to create these so-called monopolies that could kill you just as soon as they'd help you. Yep, that's exactly right. And this is the reason that the forefathers were able to um, guide us the way that they have. It's our failure as a nation to follow the, the guidance that was provided because it's very clear. It's, yep. You know, we see in the freedom of speech, we see in the, the, you know, the right to be able to bear arms and everything and freedom of deciding what's right for us, for our bodies, from a health standpoint, for a food standpoint is another crucial component. Right away. And by the way, uh, uh, hats off to that retired cop for uh, shooting the stabbing terrorists up there in St. Cloud, Minnesota. The right to keep and bear arms, the right to defense, and the right to heal. It's yours, as is the power, isn't it? Absolutely. The power to heal. Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. <laughs>